Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1239 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday. And thank you for joining us, as always, on this podcast. Today's episode will actually be a two-parter. You're watching part one right now. It's episode 1239. Part two is also available on your feed right now. And it's myself and Glenn Willis. Usually, I try to keep these up to a tidy amount of time, but Glenn and I went long, and I split it into two as a result of that. This is the kickoff to our annual player capsule series, breaking down all kinds of players on the Hawks roster, how they played this season, how they'll fare in the future, their stuff to work on, stuff that there was not great, that was not great this year necessarily. So plenty to get to on this podcast. But today, the one you're watching right now is about Danilo Gallinari, and then part two is about John Collins. So sort of a power forward flavor to today's proceedings, Monday into Tuesday, but uh, all kinds of content coming in this space, both on more of these player capsules, some NBA draft stuff in the future, some fake trades coming up with myself and Andrew Kelly in the near future as well. NBA draft lottery is on Tuesday evening, so plenty to come on this feed. But today, you're about to watch myself and Glenn Willis talk about Gallinari, also part two available right now. Once again, myself, Glenn, and John Collins talk. Before we get to all of that, though, our intro, and then we'll be diving in with myself and Glenn. You are locked on Hawks. Your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am joined now by a good friend of the program and friend of mine, Glenn Willis. Uh, Glenn, you don't know this necessarily, but this is the first player capsule player review episode so thank you for breaking in here at the beginning it won't be you on all of them i, I, I cannot possibly make you do all of that but i do appreciate <laughs> you joining me yeah and uh, multiple voices i think is a smart strategy um but i'm, <laughs> I'm glad to, glad to be a part of a bit of it here i think i made zach uh, our, our mutual friend zach do most about all of these with me last year and he was gracious enough to do that but i think it's just a lot it's a, it's a lot to ask of anyone so breaking it up is probably good uh people might see glenn again on this on this series as a spoiler alert but um Today, our, our task is to talk about the uh, starting, uh, we the starting and backup power forwards. I grouped them together on purpose, being uh, Gallinari and Collins. Um, I, I guess, broadly speaking, I'm going to do this for a lot of these, I think. But before we dive into the players individually, this is kind of an interesting group of guys. Uh, it's a group, you know, pairing of guys in that, um, you know, for a lot of teams, Gallo would be a starting power forward. And for a lot of teams, Collins would play more center and other things. Like these guys are just, they're, it's, it's obviously a very, very quality group. You can sort of nitpick these two guys, but for the most part, power four has not really been a weakness for the Hawks. It's been a pretty big strength now for a while. And uh, I was kind of reflecting when I was putting my, my notes together. I was like, oh, this is actually a pretty strong position. I'm not sure if that's why we're starting with it or not, but that's I kind of kept popping in my head. Like, this is a, this is a pretty good pairing. It, it is, and it's interesting to think about. Um, I know we'll get into this a little bit more in depth, but Gallo potentially not being back next year because of you know, financial constraints, cap sheet, all that. And then the idea, at least there's a lot of discussion about, you know, the fact that Travis Schlank said we're going to be making changes. And, you know, so one of the people that have the last few years and continues uh, to be kind of in all that noise is John Collins. And I, I've said a few times to folks, it's like, it, it's hard for me to imagine them turning over the whole position. That's not to say it won't happen, um, but it is has been a positional strength for them, I think, especially offensively. Um, and it's hard to envision how they would replace uh, these two, you know, very capable offensive players uh, at this position, especially when thinking about uh, the fact that they're obviously still going to be building around Trey. So it's it's a very interesting uh, position to kind of dive into here. So glad this one got teed up for, for me to be included. 
Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you doing it. And uh, I guess we'll, we'll just start with Gallo and then we'll kind of, we'll kind of save Collins for the end. It's uh, probably a tried and true strategy to uh, build up to the end. And Collins is very, very, not that Gallo is interesting too, but um, just, you know, broadly, Gallo is an interesting place. You mentioned his contract situation, which is going to get most of the attention. You know, I'm, I'm purposely doing this a little bit after the season's over to give you, give, give us some clarity, some space. Um, and yes, obviously most of the conversation with Gallo is going to be about the contract stuff uh, for a while now, but as a player, you know, he's 33, he'll be 34 in August. He played a lot of minutes. In fact, I think he played more minutes total than I would have guessed this season. He played 1,700 minutes almost, um, 66 games. Not that that's like a ridiculous amount, but um, given that he played a lot of back-to-backs and they, they didn't rest him a ton. There were some injuries, as there have been in Gallo's career, but um, he did have some of his worst numbers in a while. That's not a huge surprise. Uh, his lowest scoring average, he was a rookie in the league. Part of that is role-based. Part of that's not that he's not playing as much as he used to in certain teams. He's still a really, he's still a really good shooter. Um, offensively, we can get into that too. Is like he's still a pretty, pretty big plus on offense for the most part. Um, but uh, he never turns the ball over too. I noticed that. Like his passing is not like a huge, huge plus, but truly a uh, astronomically low turnover rate, like five percent turnover rate. Just a crazy thing there. And then we'll get into the defense as well. But um, I guess we'll start on offense. Like is Gallo? I, he, I think we all, we all agree he's still a good player on offense. But um, what has he lost? What, what, what can he still do? Like what did you sort of observe on that end of the floor for him this year? Yeah, I I think he had a high level on that end of the court. He gave them everything that you that they should have expected in my mind. He's still, yeah. in my mind, maybe the best spot up uh, player um, at the position in the league. Uh, you know, the, I think of other guys like Kevin Love. Um, uh, you know, guys like that. There aren't a lot of guys who are his size who can handle that position all the time and don't need to be shuffled around positionally. You know, based upon their lineups, but you know. Um, in terms of what he gave them, you know, spot up shooting, working in the pick and roll, able to kind of get into the mid range to attack mismatches. Um, you know, he has a skill set for that. Didn't always kind of mesh well with everything else that was going on offense. And then the other point was, you know, with the Hawks having the best turnover mark in the league this year on offense, I thought he was a big part of that. He's a really safe, he's really safe with the ball. In terms of, of kind of what started to fall off a little bit, I just think he's getting slower. And yeah. so when he gets chased off the three-point line and he's kind of attacking, it all goes more slowly now than it did, say, two years ago, and maybe even a little bit last year um, and such. And and I think the main impact there is you watch this team game to game, for those of us that watch every game, is that they get deeper into the shot clock. There's fewer options if he needs to kind of move the ball to someone else if, if he's not able to kind of make that happen. And so I think everything's just kind of slowing down a bit. He still has that you know crazy high release point very repeatable uh, shooting motion, very efficient, gets rid of it quickly. And it feels like that's probably always going to be there for him. At least it kind of it seems like that's the case. But when you chase him off the line, everything is just slower, which uh, favors the defense when they're able to kind of click seconds off of the, the shot clock. And I thought that showed up in crunch time uh, last year and this year, but became a little bit more um, of a challenge for him this year than last. So those are the kind of the bigger takeaways on the, that is that I have. Yeah, I think I totally agree. I, you know, it's not a secret that he's slow. Like everyone knows that, but I think there's a difference between what he was even when he got to Atlanta, you know, a couple of years ago and what he is now physically. And that's what you expect. I mean, a lot of miles, he, he came in the league early. He's been in the league for, uh, you know, a decade and a half at this point. And um, while he is set up well to be able to give you some stuff, as you mentioned, without that, because he's a great shooter. And like, I truly, I say this all the time. But just for people that may not be listening all the time, Gallo is truly enormous. Like, people don't really understand how big he actually is. He's a legit 6'10", 6'11", with a high release point, and, like, no one blocks his shot. Um, but 
he'd kick it by anybody, which is not a, not a huge breaking news thing there. But um, mismatches are really effective if you're, um, especially if you're Nate McMillan. That's something he likes to try to take advantage of. Um, if he gets a guard in the post, it looks like sometimes he's just shooting against no one. Like Gallo has that ability to make guys look silly that are smaller than he is. But I agree with you. Like he's not able to do even the things he was able to do a couple of years ago in terms of burst. He's still a great shooter, um, truly great for a power forward. Um, you know, that's kind of what it is. Uh, it, it's, I wish he could play better defense, and then we'll get, we'll get to that in a second in terms of, like, a lot of guys, his size could function at center, and he really kind of can't defensively. It's just what it is. Um, and that kind of limits you, too, but I think still, broadly speaking, his offense is really, really good. And, by the way, with, a, with him on the floor this year, unsurprisingly, the Hawks were, were awesome on offense. They had about a 116 offensive rating with him on the floor. Um and Trey and Gallo together, which is, of course, is a defensive pairing that's a lot of questions. Those two guys have a 118 offensive rating, which is like uber elite, number one in the league kind of offense. Not a huge surprise. Um, we can get into the defense, too. But, that, you know, if they were to lose him, um, and I think they probably will, or at least have a pretty good chance of doing that in some form, they're going to lose some stuff. And I think that can be overlooked. Uh, obviously, they might gain on on defense. But it is tough to replicate, particularly with the other guys they have in their front court. You know, Collins, who we'll get into later on, has some strengths as well in this area. But Gallo gives you so much space that a lot of guys do not give you at the four. The turnover stuff is what it is as well. But I think that I'm guilty of this too sometimes when you kind of talk about the hypotheticals in the future and all that stuff. And uh, it w- it will be or would be or could be a big loss offensively if Gallo is not there because he just gives stuff that a lot of guys just can't give you. Yeah, agreed. And – you know, um, we might get into this in the conversation a bit, but I was kind of thinking through, well, who are some affordable replacements that could kind of step into some of that template that he offers them, right? And, you know, when I think about it, it's like, okay, there's a few guys who could give you the the perimeter shooting, just kind of catch and shoot, spot up, you know, away from the play and give you that. There, there are a, a couple of guys that, that have, kind of have his size and could do that. What, you, what I can't imagine them getting is, the collective skill he has, all the other, the ball handling, the passing, the decision-making, and just uh, so many reps he has as a primary offensively, both on the Italian national team and all these years with Denver and in LA where he was truly, you know, one of their primary offensive weapons. All of that history of being a primary kind of gives him, um, you know, just, you know, a huge bank of experience to kind of lean on in in that decision-making area. I can't imagine positionally replacing his ball handling, uh, his ability to kind of um, function really confidently attacking a defender right in front of him. You don't see that a lot of power forwards where they're comfortable with a guy like right up in them, right, uh, you know, in his face, right in his chest and things like that. But he has the kind of all the ball skills and that full package of things uh, to kind of work through that. Replacing that stuff, the everything besides the shooting seems nearly impossible to me (laughs) uh, when I kind of think about that. So I agree when you said it would be a huge loss if they are not able to bring him back. I think that's absolutely true, um, and it's going to be, uh, you know, a, a real challenge uh, for for them. Um, now, part of why his, some of his value diminished this past season was, you know, the Hawks saw less drop coverage, they saw more switching, and they yep. saw defensive schemes that are, by design, kind of slowing everything down, especially later in the game, and his age and kind of him slowing down just kind of became a little bit of a, of um, you know, something that kind of uh, lined up the way that opposing defenses wanted at times. Like last season, he was a lot of time kind of lifting into wide open shots at the three-point break. He's operating on that weak side with all the kind of the nuance that you, you need a guy to have. There was less of that this year because there was less drop and less, you know, uh, you know, skip passes to the weak corner, skip passes to the guy that's lifting on the weak side. 
and it became more about kind of just attacking a defender right in front of you. And even at this age, he's quite good at that for his position. Um, and that that's one of the parts where I just like, it's hard for me to imagine them replacing that if they're unable to, to bring him back. So that, that would be a challenge in that scenario for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm going to ask you about his defense, which we all know what's coming there, I think, on some level. But uh, first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. Today's show is brought to you by Sakara and filling your best starts with what you eat. Sakara helps you live a healthy and balanced lifestyle and truly enjoy it with delicious plant-rich transformational nutrition that builds a foundation for living in your best body. Sakara is a wellness company that's anchored in food as medicine on a mission to nourish your body through the power of plants. And Sakara gives you the tools necessary to Transform your life with their organic, ready-to-eat meal delivery program and functional wellness essentials. They have nutritionally designed chef-crafted breakfasts, lunch, and dinners, and they're made with powerful plant-rich ingredients, helping boost your energy, support your digestion systems, curb your sugar cravings, and get your skin glowing. Plus, it's all delivered right to your door, and it's ready to eat. Sakara's functional, plant-rich wellness essentials help you create a body that you absolutely love to live in. And from, from their best-selling metabolism superpower to the foundation, their daily supplement packs, Sakara's products are designed to support your wellness goals anytime, anywhere. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off on their first order when they, when they go to sakara.com slash lockdown20 or enter code lockdown20 at checkout. That's Sakara, which is spelled S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash lockedon20 to get 20% off on your first order. Sakara.com slash lockedon20. Glenn, before I get to the defense, uh, just broadly, I want to just point out the uh, sort of the advanced metrics are um, pretty uniform on Gallo. I'm going to try to give those for most of these guys throughout the series. And basically, he's rated, you know, it's obviously not, they're not one in the same, but a lot of these, if you sort of put them together or whatever, kind of have Gallo as like a fringe starter, legit rotation player kind of guy. And that's, in my mind, what he is. I think that for a long time, he was very clearly a starting caliber, you know, high-end starter sometimes playing power forward. And now he's definitely more in that uh, tier down from that. I think he's still a quality player. Um, I kind of wondered out loud recently on a show, like what he might get in free agency if he just was a free agent. Like, you know, obviously be a short-term deal. It wouldn't be $21 million per year. I'm pretty sure about that at this point, but I think he would obviously have value. He's not like he's close to being out of the league. Part of that is, of course, his defense. And uh, we can get into that too, but I wonder if you have that same thought that I do like about what he kind of just is. Obviously, it depends on what, what team you're on and the Hawks having a, uh, you know, borderline star level, you know, fringe star kind of guy and Collins ahead of him or quote unquote with him at power forward limits his role a little bit. But I think he's just like a, a very good rotation player at this point, not necessarily a guy who's going to earn 20 plus million on, on, on his next deal or on this deal. Yeah, agreed. And um, it's interesting because when I was, uh, you know, kind of just putting some thoughts together on him preparing for our conversation here, um, it, it, I kept being drawn to the idea that most guys like him these days are being played at center and they're being played as the backup center oftentimes. And he's the guy who like, if, if you're down say 10, 12 points with five minutes to go, you no brainer roll him out and try to generate more shots at the three point line, all that sort of stuff. And that's, that's a go-to that a lot of teams have. And that's a, that's a technique that a lot of coaches around the league use. But then you ask yourself, like, well, you know, how does he hold up there? And it's interesting because I kept kind of comparing him to Kevin Love and just looking at that. I was like, well, the Cavaliers were such a uh, an exception positionally this year because they were playing you know, so many bigs. Like, Kevin Love, I think, had like 20% of his minutes at the small forward position according to basketball <laughs> reference, which is bonkers. That's insane, um, yeah. 
I don't, I mean, I don't know if it's exactly right. It's hard to guess, like in those bigger, big, big, big lineups, who's the three, four. Yeah, five. I would imagine that's that, that's him with Mobley and Allen, and probably right. Mobley's the three in that lineup. I don't and, know. It's still, and some Lowry, uh, some Lowry in there yeah. too, probably. Right, and Lowry played back. It's mostly small forward. A lot of three. Think yeah. about that. Um, but most teams, I think, will play him as the backup five and try to kind of um, craft the lineup that kind of works defensively, um, in some form, right? Because um, he just can't function on the perimeter. He can't keep anyone in front of him, anyone kind of one through four. Um, there may be some uh, backup fives where that's less of a, a problem, but he's he's challenged as a rebounder. He's just not a guy who's going to uh, have kind of the athleticism to pursue rebounds and things like that. But and when I think about what he might get paid next season and where he might play next season if it's not in Atlanta, to me, and I know you kind of hear this angle from me a lot, is a lot of that comes down to scheme, right? If you're if you're a team that plays really aggressive at the level of the screen, Gallo's just never going to work in that. Gallo's going to need to do some drop and have um, a scheme where, say, like, you know, Bud in Milwaukee drops basically everyone down towards the paint and creates kind of crowding on the interior where it's not just him needing to hold up in there. Um, and there are teams that do, you know, quite a bit of that. They're challenged, you know, kind of covering a three-point line in some senses. But it really will come down to, in my mind, a team that says to themselves, Okay, our structure defensively works for a guy like him because we're not um, trying to get, you know, generate ball pressure. We're not trying to be aggressive at the level of the screen. We're not trying to get our bigs out of the paint, and we're dropping help down towards the rim and sacrificing some um, open shots potentially on the three-point line. So I, you know, I don't want to fast forward into who might sign him. You know, because <laughs> that, that, there's a lot of analysis to do and kind of see how for things sure. roll. First of all. We're not even sure he won't be back with Atlanta. Um, but this is another thing where what Nate was doing with the team this year um, was a lot of, which is different from what LP did. Um, LP kind of had everything in his toolbox and would use different things game to game to game, right? Nate wanted to, you know, be pretty conservative as a default kind of in the paint. But when he needed to, he would roll out switching. But it was never a switch everything. It was a read-based switching so that someone's calling, you know, the technique that they're going to use, a switch or not, and everyone else has to hear that read or call that read and then react kind of athletically. Oh, they're switching that. I got to get down deeper into the paint or I got to get past the nail from the weak side. And that's where I think Gallo's uh, uh, mobility issues showed up this year was when there was a, a react reactionary kind of aspect to the scheme that they were playing in games where they went towards more switching he's just not going to have that foot speed he's not going to have that change of direction if that's what nate feels like he has to do then that's going to be an issue now we could kind of fast forward that and say maybe that's not really what nate wants and nate wants more um point of attack defenders that don't need to rely on switching and kind of work over screens that you can keep someone like gallo positioning more in a support position dropped and not have to worry about reacting to that read it's it's hard to know like was that mostly a roster issue or was that mostly like what the, the the philosophy of defense that Nate leaned on? There's so many different layers to that. It's really kind of hard to know. But if they're going to go into next season needing to rely on the kind of switching with read based switching, to me that makes it harder for Gallo to work next season, um, unless he's mostly playing at the five with a a, a reserve unit that's stacked with more defensive uh, competence competency there so 
it'll be interesting to kind of see to see how that goes and how the roster change changes the schematic philosophy and things like that. Um, but there's a ton of layers to kind of kind of think about that. But he's smart. I mean, he knows where to be. He's experienced. He, he doesn't always kind of get there. The strangest thing for me when I reflect back on his defensive season was it felt like there were like two stretches of about a week, week and a half where he had this like crazy like speed. Renaissance. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, and then I thought to myself today, I was like, what was that about? Because, man, if you could get more of that, that works. That's much more workable. Right. And I like, you know, as a guy who's getting older myself and I was like, some days you're just a little faster than others, you know, <laughs> and the aging process is not like a linear straight down all the time. It's right. You know, you have a good day and a bad day, a good week and a bad week. And, and with him, it was like funny to see, you know, a little more on a dunk, a little more on a closeout, a little more sprinting down to the, to the front of the rim and getting help there. But that was, I think if I had to guess, it was like maybe seven games where we saw that, you know, you know, extra bit of speed athleticism and everything else was the baseline you should accept, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's it's well put. I, I think that, um, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of this too, but like, you know, everyone knows he's not a good defender, but the, the nuance of what you're laying out there with, with the scheme stuff is interesting because there are ways to hide him and there's there's the ways to augment what he what he can do because he is, as we talked about, he's he is huge. He he knows he knows where he, he knows where to be. He is extremely slow and that limits you. And rim protection wise, he's not gonna be able to really he's not gonna meet guys at the rim, but um there are ways to hide him. I've kind of been fond of saying recently, like it, it is going to be always difficult to play him with Trey defensively. Like, Cause then you, you just have two of those glaring, you know, red signs that say attack me basically. And it makes life difficult for you. The other side of that is that they're also an offense together. So it's like, you can give a little bit and take a little bit. It'll, it'll probably drive your coaching staff, drive us crazy. People trying to watch them try to play defense, but uh, it can be done. Um, you know, unsurprisingly the metrics, don't love Gallo on defense. Uh, I think he, you know, given that he's not a not a point guard, uh, he's you know Raptor for instance. The five thirty eight metric has like one of the twenty worst defenders in the league. I don't think that's wrong, probably just because of like the impact that he can have in certain situations. Um, a little bit better than that in some of the other ones like EPM or whatever else what you want to say. But it is. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the nuance of the scheme stuff because it is not as simple as maybe just observing like what he can and can't do, because I think it's not, that's not that hard to see if you watch enough, watch enough of their basketball, it's just figuring out what to do with him and uh, who to pair him with, which, you know, to your point about him playing center on this team with this roster right now, there's just no minutes for him to play center. I mean, they have, they have two, they have the guy who in Capella, who's already an established, you know, high end starting center. They have a guy in a Conway that they have invested. And even Collins has been, has been the third guy playing center. There's just no minutes for him to play center on this roster unless there's injuries or whatever. Um, obviously, that could change too. They could trade one of those guys and they could bring it Gallo back. There's there's options here, but I, I totally agree that on a lot of teams, that's the way to that would be the way to play him on a second unit. Take the defensive loss that you're going to get from him playing center and just try to outscore teams because a lot, a lot of teams do that on second units. You you watch the league as much as I do, like a lot of teams that's their plan on second unit. Now the Hawks is kind of the opposite in recent days because they have Trey on the on the first unit they try to score a ton on the first unit and then they go a little bit, they play slower. And this year it was, you know, especially when it was DeLon and not Lou, they were great defensively on the second unit. Even when, even, even when Gallo was out there at times, they actually had some nice units defensively when you're playing him to like, to your point, when you're playing him with a Kongwu and DeLon and a couple other defender, like you, you could, you could surround Gallo with four good defenders, including DeLon, Wright. Like you could get by with that, but it's all about nuance of like what, who, who you play him with, how you use him and you know, what the Hawks, other plan stuff is kind of informs because yeah, I don't think he's a 21, $21 million dollar player at this point in time, 
I don't think anybody does, but he's on your team already. Like there's that built-in question of like how much money you want to spend both cash and, and luxury tax. But like in a vacuum, he's, it's still good to have Gallo on your team. Like that, that's the, at the end of the day, there's this like flippantness that I see sometimes about like, all right, well, they don't need Gallo. They have Jalen Johnson, they have whatever. And I, I do understand that. But even if Gallo were to play a smaller role, take the money out of it, your team is going to be better and have more options with him with him on it. So there is there is that nuance, that question about how much you want to spend. I, I totally get that. I'm not advocating for bringing him back at whatever cost, but like he's already on your team. So th- there's a nuance there too. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. And just imagine dipping your finger into that plastic tub of birthday cake frosting. Then imagine opening your eyes and realizing it was only 150 calories, 16 grams of protein. That is what it's like, almost to the T, to eat a birthday cake puff from Built Bar. I just received a box of birthday cake puffs, and I've never had anything like this before, really. They're available right now, and we can't promise anything that they'll actually still be available tomorrow. So go get them today at built.com. If you haven't tried the puffs yet, I don't want to really know what you're waiting for. I've been trying to tell you about them for a while and make every day your birthday with Built's birthday cake puffs. Built has taken the delicious experience of biting into that fresh slice of birthday cake and robed it in 100% white chocolate and added sprinkles to the mix. And with only 150 calories, 16 grams of protein, 9 grams of sugar, with limited time flavor, is an amazing option if you're looking for a healthy way to get flavor and variety in your day. All Built Puffs and all Built Bars overall have 100% real chocolate on the outside. That means with Built, eat healthy and you can actually enjoy doing it. They also have collagen protein, which helps your body to absorb more efficiently and provides health, tons of health benefits along the way. Go to Built.com for everything you need to know about Built Bars and Birthday Kick Puffs are available now. Please use the promo code LOCK15 when you get there as well. Promo code LOCK15 will get you 15% off on your order with Built Bar. One more time, that's promo code LOCK15, 15% off at Built.com. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I think any team would love to have Gallo on there because it's what he gives you at the position is so unique, so different, and gives you a lot of options. Maybe at this point, it's not something you want to bake into every single game. We're going to bank on him creating on 15 possessions or 20, but whatever that is, right? And Nate loves his bets. So some games it did feel like he was riding yes. Gallo too much, you know, and not recognizing like either Gallo. I mean, he, he played more, by the way, to your point, he played more minutes per game this year than last year. And now right. part of that might've been injuries to Collins, like Collins missed, missed that time, et cetera. But like, it wasn't like Nate was shying away from Gallo. Like there were, mo- there were times when he didn't in the fourth quarters, but in general, they were, they were, when he, when he was available, he was going to play his minutes and play his role. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, a, a small part of that is, they played more games this year, but you know, even on a per, per game basis, per game. there, there yeah. was more there, right? But I mean, when I think about kind of if I were constructing a uh, kind of a, a roster to make Gallo fit, what a lot of teams are doing these days is they view positions differently on offense and defense. So, for example, I think if you could, you want to play Gallo at the four on offense because typically the five, you're still going to put them in the dunker spot a decent amount. The five is still going to be a heavy screener. You don't want Gallo necessarily setting screens for other shooters. He's the shooter, right? And those sorts of things, you want someone who can deliver a screen for him. So if you could have a pairing that lets him play the four on offense and the five on defense, and who are the who are the guys like that, right? Uh, maybe uh, like a Maxi Cleaver, right, who could play the five on offense, be that screener and work, give you a little shooting too, but not to the level of Gallo. And on defense, Gallo can maybe kind of sink back to the five. Cleaver's going to be better than him out on the perimeter. A guy like Chris Boucher, right? Not as big of a guy, but he's still good in the dunker spot, screening, moving, um, you know, ball screens and things like that. Boucher on defense, you're fine letting him get out on the perimeter more so than you will Gallo. So there are some pairings that let you kind of look at the four and five, one way on offense, the other way on defense. And of course, when you have Capello and Kongu in his the latter in his current form that don't offer that shooting, they're always going to be the five on both ends of the court. Always, always, yep. always. So that you know, maybe you got Kongu 
I can't imagine he has enough shooting um, this year to kind of make a little bit of a difference there or that you want a Kongu, for example, the bigger issue is on defense. You want a Kongu away from the right. You don't want that, right? And you don't want Capello in that situation too. But if they have some change, you know, hypothetically at the, at the center position, I know we're going to talk about JC here in a minute, but like how much is J, you know, is JC going to play center next year? What's in the plan around that? Cause he and JC kind of work in a way, in, in, a, in a sense, especially against uh, other teams' kind of second units. And so even the, the way that you pair him with another big and how that presents on each end of the court has a lot to do with how workable Gallo is, I think, for you and your roster. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good point. And then we could move on to, to Collins. But in general, I, I just think that uh, it is extremely interesting on all fronts with Gallo, I think he is both underrated in some ways and also maybe overvalued in some ways as well. But I think that he's still a good player, which I want to make sure we get. I think we got, probably got, got that across. He's still a very good and useful player. It's that he just has extreme limitations. And that makes it a challenge for everybody involved, coaching staff, lineup construction, uh, both for him. And, you know, he'll be a year older. I mean, uh, you talked about like him having nights, uh, you know, as you get older later in your career, that trend's going to continue. Like he might have even even fewer nights when he has the juice. Um, we saw it with Lou Williams this year. It's a different thing. But like Lou, as we'll probably touch on in his evaluation, like he didn't have very many nights this year. Uh, there were still a few in there. Like in January, he got revamped a little bit for, for a couple of weeks. He had a, a nice little stretch. But and Gallo was better than that. But he might slow down even more. And we'll see. And they have to kind of rely on their training staff and figure out what, what, what to do there. Anything else you want to add on Gallo for me on Collins? And obviously, we can come back to Gallo if we want to. But I want to make sure we sort of uh, talk about him in totality. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see. I agree with you. I think a great way to wrap on Gallo, wrap up on Gallo, even because we kind of, um, you know, we're probing his game a little bit and scrutinizing it. I think 30 out of 30 teams in the league would love to have Gallo on, on the roster. You kind of set roster, you kind of contract aside, assuming that sure. they could make yeah. it work. 30 out of 30 teams would love him because what he brings is so unique, so different, and adds so much value in that sense. It's just a matter of whether you can get him into lineups that work best to, to, to maximize him and whether the cap sheet supports it and things like that. I, I believe 30 out of 30 teams would love to have him on their team. Oh yeah, almost certainly. And uh, maybe we'll get to see uh, as we, as we take a step back for a second on like away from Hawks coverage, if the Hawks were to move on from him and cut him or trade him in a, in a dump or whatever you want to do. Um, I would be fascinated to see where he would sign, what role he would be in somewhere else and how that would be handled. And uh, I really enjoyed talking to Gallo. I think Gallo's a pretty insightful guy too. So, and uh, by all accounts, great, a great guy in terms of like leadership, not, not a, not a hugely vocal guy, but certainly a good emphasis for guys and that uh, he's playing with Kong Wu Collins and he's been around and, you know, him and bogey obviously don't get as much, as, as much credit as like guys like Capella or of course, Trey, but the fact that they went out and signed bogey and Gallo, which I didn't necessarily love. And I said as much on the, on the show, I thought they were trying to speed up a little bit too fast. Look, you know, they made the conference finals right after that. And it's like, you know, you can't argue too much with it, with, with the results. Uh, and Gallo was a huge part of that. So anyway, we'll come back to him, I'm sure. But I wanted to at least touch on that briefly. All right, that's the end of part one with myself and Glenn Willis talking about the Hawks power forwards with Gallo on this show. And part two is available right now with more Hawks talk. Myself, Glenn, talking about John Collins. So click on over to that podcast. We've uh, already talked for about a half hour about Collins as well. So uh, please do that right now. Also subscribe to the podcast on Locked on Hawks, wherever you find your podcast. That includes Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, etc. And we'll see you next time. And once again, part two available right now.